Morning, church family. Morning. My name is Derek. Uh, it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, we have a lot to cover this morning in um, a really uh, good and important topic. A-, a lot to cover, and yet we still won't cover it all today. A lot that God's Word, I think, has to say that we won't get to. A lot that I would love to say as, as someone passionate about uh, teaching these topics that I'm sure I won't get to today. I'm sure what I say will be imperfect, but I know you have grace for me, and uh, you'll take it as uh, hearing from God, hopefully through me, as, I, as we desire to do every week as we open our Bibles and, and, and have them open in front of us and desire to hear from God through His Word. So um, we want to get right to it. I hope you have a Bible with you open to Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, um, yeah, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll just remind us, this is a letter written by a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians a couple thousand years ago uh, in a town called Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesian Christians, and we're in a series of messages that we're calling Walk Worthy, because we're asking God to show us, in light of all that he's done for us, in light of the good news of the gospel, how do we live a life that is worthy? The, good, the gospel is the good news, is the spectacular news that God doesn't leave you and I stuck in our sin, but that God pursues and comes after and rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, through through Jesus' work on the cross. And so um, the series is called Walk Worthy because we're continuing in this latter portion of this letter. The latter portion of Ephesians is very practical. And showing us how living as a Christ follower looks like in life. What is it, as a follower of Jesus who has the Spirit of God living inside of us, what do our Spirit-filled lives look like? So uh, we're gonna get, we'll be at a, in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15 in a moment. Um, and you'll see, uh, first we're going to read a little bit what we covered last Sunday, then we'll get into the passage for today. And you'll see that today's passage has instructions for husbands and wives. And uh, I couldn't plan it this way because I just, you know, we teach through the book of the Bible passage by passage, but in God's timing, we arrive today at this passage with instructions for husbands and wives with Amy and I having just celebrated our 22nd anniversary yesterday. Yeah, thank you. Which is, she's so excited about it, she left the room. Oh, wait, she's, she's serving out behind the scenes somewhere. So... So in God's timing, we get to this passage for husbands and wives on this weekend where we just celebrated our anniversary. And I mean, maybe that's appropriate because really as I was studying this passage this week, I was kind of thinking about how unnecessary this passage is for me. Um, How I I really already know, I really already know everything I need to know about marriage. And when it comes to marriage, I get it right every time. And um, I'm such an expert that, um, you know, I didn't really need to study it. But, uh, but maybe I have some things I can pass along to now. As the famous philosopher and theologian George Strait said, if you'll buy that, I'll throw the golden gate in free. Okay? So hopefully you know I am full of baloney up here. Okay? All right. On the, on the expertise and marriage factor. So asking for God's help, um, just, like, just like many of you. Uh, first, let's remind ourselves Uh, where we've been, what leads up to our passage today. So we're going to go back to Ephesians 5, verse 15. Let me read a few verses that we studied together last Sunday. Look carefully, then, how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. That's the key right here to this passage. This command to be filled with God's Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So last Sunday, we studied this passage and this command to be filled with the Spirit. And that command is followed then by, uh, for you grammar people, participles that describe a Spirit-filled life. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. 
And we talked last week about putting ourselves in places where we could be uh, ongoing, consistently filled with the Spirit so we can live the life of the Spirit, so we can live out the ways of Jesus. And so um, verses 19, 20, 21 are these participles that describe a Spirit-filled believer. And and we covered these things last Sunday, including that, that that it would lead us to be singing and that we would be giving thanks and submitting to one another out of respect, out of reverence, for Christ. So verse 21 that we covered last week uh, both wraps up last week's passage and kind of transitions us into this week's passage. This idea that as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, part of that is submitting where God calls us to submit. In various relationships and situations we find ourselves in in life, there are certain situations where we as followers of Jesus are called to submit. And that's an aspect of our being spirit-filled. And so this passage, or verse 21, leads up to a few topics that we're going to cover. One, we're going to cover today regarding uh, husbands and wives. Next week's, uh, the next Ephesians passage that we'll cover has to do with parents and children. And then there's a, a, a passage after that about slaves and masters. Um, quick side note. When you think of slaves and masters, uh, slavery in the Bible a lot different than the slavery we think of in American history. And so it, you could make a good case that when the Bible addresses slaves and masters, that there might be some parallels to be drawn front to employees and bosses. So, so we have this very practical section of Scripture here where, um, where God has direction for certain of those people to submit. Wives are, are going to be instructed to submit, children, slaves. And the others in those relationships are not instructed to submit. Their spirit-filled role is different in each case. In the case of husbands, their spirit-filled role is to love. In the, in the case of parents, their spirit-filled role is to not exasperate their children. And in the, in, in when it comes to bosses, their spirit-filled life of a Christian is to treat their employees, these slaves, Fairly. So, now you have an idea where we're going. I'm scanning the room. There's no wives headed for the exit yet. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm going to talk to everyone here in a moment, real briefly. Wives, husbands, and everyone. Okay, wives, don't head for the exit. Um, I would encourage you, if you're a wife, to not make assumptions about this passage. Uh, let me back up. Before I even address individuals, let me address us all. This, as is always the case with God's word, I think this is a prime opportunity for us today to look to hear what all God has to say, not just catch a piece and then let our, run, our mind run amok. Are you with me? Let's look to see what all God has to say. So, so stay, so stay together, stay with me. So, wives, uh, you know, ask God for help in not making assumptions and not uh, focusing on certain parts of this that are challenging. You will be challenged, but I want to encourage you to ask God, what, do, what does God have for you in this? What is God teaching us? What is He saying to you? Perhaps um, I think you're going to find that while you may feel challenged, wives, I think you're going to find that uh, there's perhaps more addressed in the scriptures and from me this morning to husbands. So you husbands, you guys be ready too. Uh, God's word has a high calling for us this morning. Uh, This is a serious responsibility and an opportunity for you if you're a husband to evaluate yourself and to ask God uh, for help to live out the life of a follower of Jesus, the life of a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, and what does that look like in your role as a husband. And then, now, I want to address everyone, or, or, or perhaps everyone else, if you're not currently a husband or a wife, if you're, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, don't, don't tune out. God's word has something for us all this morning, especially because, and Pastor Matt did a great job of emphasizing this already. We're going to talk, this passage talks about God's will for marriage, but at the end of it, he says, this is not just about marriage. This is not just about married people. This is about the church, believers in Jesus, and and our rescuer, Jesus. Our, our human marriages are, are a picture that God wants to use as a picture of the union that, that is to come in the future when Jesus returns. Our marriages are a picture 
of this union that is to come between the church, believers everywhere, and our rescuer, Jesus. So that's for all of us, right? All right. Um, Before we get to verse 22 and following, I think this is an important place to start. Some, Some Bible background is really helpful. And I, and I think we can go all the way back to the creation, so the creation story in, Gen, in the early chapters of Genesis. So often, when God speaks to us in the New Testament about marriage, so often it's grounded in what happened at the very beginning of the Bible, at the way God chose to create. And so we want to think back to the early chapters of Genesis, that our God created what? Everything. And our God created human beings. And, and our great God, creator, made things gorgeous and beautiful and to be enjoyed by us. And, and his creation included creating human beings. And the Bible says that he created them male and female. He created human beings in his image. In, in the likeness of God, he created them male and female, both created in the image of God. And so right back to the very beginning of the Bible, we know that God creates all that he creates men, that he creates women, and therefore he creates husbands and he creates wives. And they're equally made in the image of God to represent him, to to have aspects of them that are true of God as well. And so so foundationally, before we get to the details about marriage, don't forget that that you all are, are created by a loving and creative God. And you were created to know him, and you were created in his image. And so men and women, husbands and wives, you are equally dignified, equally valuable. You have equal worth before God. Are both men and women, both wives and husbands, able to be in relationship with our God through Jesus? Yes, you are equally uh, uh, spiritual, equally able to be rescued by God. Um, man, man, husbands, created in the image of God, unique strengths, weaknesses, characteristics, women, created in the image of God, unique strengths, weaknesses, but different. God made us different, equal in worth, value, equal in spiritual life, different. And, 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 compl- and I would say complementary. Men made in the image of God. Women made in the image of God. And best together. Complementary. Best reflecting God's glory together in the picture of marriage. And what else do we want to know before we look at these roles? Um, even within the Godhead himself, even within our great God, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you study your Bible and you learn about the, our one God, our one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you learn about the Trinity, you even find that within the Trinity, there are these ordered roles, these roles within the Trinity, some authority and submission, even between members of the Trinity that are all fully God. So, so if there's ordered roles and there's aspects of submission and authority, even within our Godhead, does that make authority and submission, does that make those equal to inferiority or, or being weak somehow or, or one being more superior than the other? No. Let me re- make sure we caught that, okay? Authority and submission is something that the Godhead even models for us. So that does not have to, we don't, we don't have to let our brains swing to, okay, if there's ordered roles, if we're different, if some have this role and some have that role, that makes one less valuable or that makes one less more important than the other. There's somehow now a superiority or an inferiority. No. Equal before God. With me so far? Okay, that's, a, that's an important place to start. All right, let's get into our passage for today. We're going to start at verse 22. I'm going to read the whole passage that we'll study together first, and then we'll take a little bit of uh, a walking through it more slowly. Verse 22 and following. Wives, submit to your own husbands 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church, believers in Jesus everywhere, submits to Christ. So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Is he talking about marriage? Yes. And he's saying, yes, and. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love him, his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father in heaven, as always, we need you desperately to speak to us through your word. God, I pray that, the, uh, that you would prepare us, that you would humble us, that we would look to you to see what you have to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Depending on what you've heard before, depending on what your history is in the church, depending on how much you've considered this topic or not, I know this topic can be alarming, a little uncomfortable, not sure what to do with it, especially in the context of our culture and the way our culture views gender and, and roles and marriage. Um, but here it is, right here, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And, and I just, we should say that we could ex- interpret this passage in one extreme way, and it, and it would cause bad things for wives, if this, is, if this passage is misinterpreted in one extreme way, it would not be uh, good for wives. But on the other extreme, we, I want to caution us to not throw it out because we're concerned what it could mean or we're concerned how it could be abused. Let's not swing to the other extreme and throw out God's word. Let's, let's, let's ask him to show us what he's saying and what he's teaching and what goodness he has for us because of this. What, what good design he wants us to know about. What, what, what he, his best is for us. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, husbands, is that a command? Is there a command in there in verse 22 for you to make your wife submit? It's not that. That isn't what it said. Verse 22 is to wives, and the encouragement here is to, for a wife to submit to her husband voluntarily, out of respect for the Lord, out of walking with Jesus and desiring for Jesus to shape her life and shape her the way she lives it out, she's encouraged to submit to her husband. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As I studied this week, uh, one of the commentators that I was reading wrote this, however politically incorrect it may sound, since creation, since God set things up, since he made all things, since he made human beings, since he made men and women in his image, Since creation, God's best, his design calls for husbands to lovingly lead and care for wives as the head, as as the authority, as the head of the family. 
and for wives to receive that leadership and benefit from it. So, so before we let the, this term headship or, or, or the, the man, the husband being the head, before we let that distract us, uh, let's think about it a little bit. What is the headship? What is the authority that husbands are called to? Well, we look first to Jesus. In the passage and elsewhere, Jesus is, we are told that Jesus is head of the church, that he is head of, of believers everywhere. And so Jesus, as the head of the church, our passage tells us uh, about Jesus and the way he loves. Jesus, as head of the church, is, willing, is, a, is a willing to die servant leader. Jesus, as head of the church, is a willing to die servant leader. And so husbands, looking to the example of Christ, are, are to lead with a love, a sacrificing love, a willing to die servant leadership love. When you, when you think of this idea of headship, when you think of, of a man, a husband called to have uh, leadership in his home, I love Kent Hughes on this, another pastor author. God help a man who thinks his headship is a license for dominance or demanding lordship. See, see we got to be careful not to let the pendulum swing, right? we got to be careful not to make our, put our own assumptions into these situations. Yes, wives are encouraged by God to submit to their husbands, and we're going to get to the part where husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But, but we don't want to read into this or, or, or take it to extremes. Kent Hughes is making sure that, that, that we men, we husbands, don't take it to an extreme. He says, God help a man who thinks his headship is a license for dominance or demanding lordship. Headship definitely has limits. There is no room for tyranny. Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Real funny on the screen, maybe. Not real funny in life. There's no room for me, Tarzan, you, Jane, no bullying, no domineering. That's not what God's word is inviting here as husbands are um, head. And here's, a, here's an interesting thing I want us to think about. I think if, if, if the man, the husband being called to being the head causes you to bristle, if that causes a little discomfort, let's Again, let's hear the whole story. Let's look to God's word. Let's consider the whole situation before our mind runs too far with one piece of it. And here's something I find fascinating. This passage and other passages in the New Testament to, to husbands and wives address who? Both. There's not picking on one. This passage and others addresses both wives and husbands, and I think that tells us what? That indicates that both wives and husbands bear responsibility for honoring God in their marriage. There are instructions to both in God's word, right? And then, therefore, both husbands and wives have responsibility, have some things where God wants you to love the other and serve the other. But because of headship, listen here, this is what I think is fascinating, because of God's calling for the, for the husband to be head, the husband's in line to bear greater judgment, to be held res higher responsible, I believe, for the health of the marriage. So, so while headship might make us bristle a little bit if, that, if we're not sure we want to submit to that, it, it come, this leadership responsibility from God also comes with this high responsibility from God. And, and here's an interesting place where I've, I've been told, been taught, where we kind of see that. You think back to the beginning of the Bible. God created everything. And man, the, the first man and woman, the first husband and wife, Adam and Eve, were in relationship with God and things were as they should be. And they were given instructions not to eat the fruit of a certain tree. But what happened? They did. They were in this ideal relationship with God. They were in this idyllic environment. Things were all as it should be. And by the way, as God will put them back someday. And they were in that situation. And they were told not to eat the fruit of a certain tree. And Genesis 3, 6 says, Eve took of its fruit and ate. 
And lest we get mad at Eve, keep reading, she also gave some to her husband who was standing right there. And he took and ate it. So they both sinned. Then we go to verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A few minutes earlier, a day earlier, and they heard God coming, there would have been excitement and fellowship and relationship and living in this glorious situation with God. And now they blew it, and they hear God coming, and what happens? Do you know? They hide. They both sin. They both rebel against God. They both eat the fruit. They both do what they're not supposed to do. They both hide from God. And then here's what I think is fascinating. They both sinned. They're both hiding. But who is God looking to talk to? Verse 9 says, The Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? I don't don't think that's an insignificant note. I don't think it's insignificant that that God is looking to the head to call him to responsibility for the health of their marriage. So, so husbands, see, this is where like we're in the part about we're in the part of the passage that's directed to wives, and, and I'm now talking to husbands. Husbands, so when it comes to this role of headship, to this call on of God on your life to lead, when it comes to making decisions in your marriage, what do good leaders do? Good leaders are surrounded by godly, capable, intelligent, excellent people with talents and spiritual gifts, and good leaders look to those around them for counsel and wisdom, don't they? Husbands, I got news for you. If you're married, you've got God's exact person right with you. He puts you together for a reason. Good leaders look to the counsel of those around them. Husbands looking to make difficult decisions ought to look to the counsel of his wife with humility, recognizing that I don't know it all, that I don't have it all figured out, that I don't have all the research, that I don't, that there's areas that I'm stronger in, and there's absolutely areas that my amazing wife is stronger in. Are we looking, as as the head of family, are are we looking and including the godly counsel of our capable and intelligent and amazing wives that God's given us? And and are we doing so with dependence on God? Are, are Are we leaning into our leadership calling with dependence on God, realizing how imperfect we are, and how that responsibility falls on me. So I am going to depend on the Lord. And what else should headship, again, for, for husbands, what else should we know about headship? If we model this idea of headship after Jesus, Jesus lived his earthly life devoted to God, dependent on God. Seeking God in prayer. In the midst of his ministry, Jesus could have stayed busy, busy, busy with healing and teaching and performing miracles. And, and how many times as you read about Jesus' life do you see Jesus go off to be by himself because he's dependent on God and seeking God in prayer? And that's a model for us husbands if we desire to lead our families well. So I'm asking husbands, is that true of you? Dependent on God and seeking him in prayer. That's what our homes need. That's what our, my family needs from me and doesn't always get. And wives, if you saw a husband dependent on the Lord and seeking him in prayer, does that make your role of looking to him as leader easier? Wouldn't that help? Another of the commentators, Richard Koken, says this, If her husband has any sense, (laughs) I like that too, right? If her husband has any sense, he will listen to her opinions and delegate to her responsibilities and decisions for which she is better suited than he. But he must bear the ultimate responsibility in marriage. See, I think that's important right there. 
Because we're not talking about some, some difference. Remember we said we're not talking about inferiority, superiority. We're not saying, you know, we're saying made in the image of God, made in the image of God, equal before God, just different. Different skills, different strengths, different callings from God. And so I think it's important to remember we're not talking about one or the other being not incapable or somehow deficient in the ability to participate in life and in these decisions. We're talking about different and, and asking God to show us how our differences can be beautifully complementary of each other. A godly wife will try to trust that a husband is seeking God. A godly wife will try to trust that the husband is seeking God and seeking what's best for their family. Even though the husband will make mistakes and, and feel the weight of that responsibility sometimes. Okay. Did everybody take a breath? How are we doing? I'm looking around. I'm seeing if anybody's mad at me yet. I'm just kidding. Challenging though, right? Do we want to hear from God on this? I just, I urge us not to, not to swing to extremes, not to make assumptions either way, but to ask God to show us in his word what beautiful, best intentions he has for, for our marriages. It's challenging, right? Well, I want to assure you that if you have any questions at all, feel free to email matt at faithchurchdallas.org. Okay. And he might, he might actually have you email jake at faithchurchdallas.org. And either of those would just be glad to answer all of your questions about this topic. Because I'm starting vacation tomorrow. So we keep going in the passage. In, in verse, we, we, we're going to go a little faster through the verses. A lot of what I've wanted to say has almost been said kind of already in the context of setting this topic up. But 24 says, uh, in verse 24, the church submitting to Jesus is, is the model for wives. Remember, it's, verse 22 is urging the wives to submit to husbands. And, and verse 24 is saying, here's our model. The church, believers, Submit ourselves to our rescuer master Jesus. And so wives, submit in everything to your husbands. I mean, think about this. As the church submits to Jesus, what, what, why would we submit to Jesus, followers of Jesus? If, if we're Christians and we've put our lives under the headship of, of, of our master Jesus, knowing that we can't save ourselves, knowing that we need him, his life, death, and resurrection, his victorious Victory over death and sin and evil on the cross and his resurrection to new life makes it possible for us to live. And so, um, so as, as why would we, the church, believers, submit to Jesus? Because we have confident expectation that we will receive his loving care, right? It, we submit to Jesus because we know that he cares. And we know that when he rules, when he leads, it's for our benefit, and, and we appreciate his gifts and his, and his time and his love for us, uh, knowing that, that we can be thankful for his work in our lives. And so a wife then is, is to gladly submit to a husband, trusting God that he has good purposes in that. Now, that said... We still sometimes think of, we think of difficult situations. Our minds might go to, yeah, but what if? I know I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but what if dot, 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 dot. Well, let's be clear about some things that submission is not. I think we've made this first one clear already, but submission is not spiritual inequality. It's not husbands are more spiritual than their wives. It's not husbands are somehow better than wives. Okay? It's not about spiritual inequality. Both are, bear the image of Jesus. Both are, 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 can be find salvation in God. Uh, both men and women, both husbands and wives, uh, have the opportunity to be followers of Jesus. There's no, we're not talking about superiority, inferiority. We're talking about different roles. Okay? So what else is submission not? Submission is not slavish obedience, doing whatever for whenever. Submission is not slavish obedience. Wives, 
never follow a husband into sin. Christ alone, Jesus alone is your supreme authority. Yes, as we study our Bible, he's asking that wives submit to husbands out of their respect for Jesus. But, But Christ alone is your authority. The Holy Spirit lives within you, wives, showing you right and wrong. So if a husband demands something or is leading in a direction that is sinful, if a husband calls for your family or you to do something um, uh, that, is, that is immoral, or if, you're, or if the husband's behavior itself is corrupt or cruel or abusive, then wives should not obey, but seek with God's help to lovingly challenge the husband and persuade him to see things differently, persuade him to find God's truth, persuade him against away from sin. So, so the call to submit is not blind, slavish obedience. It's trusting in Jesus first and making sure that that your life as a, as a, as a wife and your, the life of your family is, is honoring to him first and foremost and certainly doesn't include obeying into sin or immorality. And then, while God, may, may God give you strength to lovingly challenge those situations that you might find yourself in that are difficult, and may, and may God work in that situation and bring health and repentance and, and healing. But then I would just say that if there's sustained misbehavior, if there is continuing mistreatment, um, if there is sustained wickedness, then that certainly calls for getting help, for, for finding someone that you can trust, for, for going to someone to seek counsel and to get help and to not be in that situation. What else do we want to be clear that submission is not? Submission is not mindless. See, I think a lot of the knock on submitting to husbands, a lot of the knock on seeing and allowing a husband to be the head of the family is if, is if we take these extremes. Oh, well, then that means I'd have to do everything he said no matter what. No, that means that I'm somehow inferior. No. So if, so if we ask God to give us a picture of what he means and doesn't mean, then I think we find this, this design for marriage to be beautiful and God-honoring. So the other thing that submission is not is it's not mindless. Jesus submitted to the Father. Uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus had a lot different ideas of what would be comfortable the next day. Jesus prayed passionately for things to go a different way. And then he submitted himself to the Father and said, not what I will, but you will. So, so Jesus, Jesus submitting to the Father wasn't, wasn't mindless, I'll do whatever. Oh, sure, that sounds like a blast, God. Jesus submitted to the Father. So to submit is not to become a doormat. If a husband, think about this, if a husband is godly, then submitting will be a benefit to you, wives. If if the husband is godly, you'll be no more squelched or put down or harmed by following your husband than you would be following Jesus. But, But if the husband is not godly, then questioning his reasoning, this is where it's not mindless, then questioning his reasoning or pointing out error That's not sinful, but loving. It's the loving thing to do. Kent Hughes says, A Christian wife can stand with Christ against her husband with a humble, loving spirit that indicates her longing to honor his headship. A Christian wife can stand with Christ against her husband with a humble, loving spirit that indicates her longing to honor his headship. See, I just... You know, I don't think we have to throw out God's instructions to submit. I don't think we have to throw out the idea of, of husband as head of the family. We don't have to throw that out. 
we can still honor that, and yet we can still stand for what is right, and we can hold to God's truth, and we can hold to Jesus as our authority overall. So, submission may not be easy. It might go against our own past inclinations. Submission may go against what you feel like our society has taught you. Um, but, but I do think that as we continue the passage and we hear this call to husbands to love their wives, perhaps as we think about this as God's best, if, if, we can, if we can help ourselves to study this topic and think of it as God's best, his design, his good intentions for our good and for his glory, if we can see it that way and we can recognize that, yes, uh, wives are called to submit, but there's this reciprocal calling, there's this reciprocal duty now that is pointed at husbands, and that is to love their wives. This is an incredibly high calling for husbands, Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, and, and so we, we could go on and on and we could look to scriptures everywhere about how does Christ love the church? And then we, could, we husbands could ask God to help us apply. Then if that's how Jesus loves the church, how do I need to love my wife? We've already talked about the fact that Jesus is the willing-to-die servant leader. And so Jesus is our example for husbands to be a willing-to-die servant leader. And, and, and yeah, and even to that extreme, but also just to a more daily and simple way too, right? What does it look like to die to self daily, husbands? When we think about what we'd like to do with our time and what our wife would like to do with our time, whether we could spend it alone or whether we should spend it together or whether I have my own thing I want to get done or whether there's a way I could serve my wife, what does it look like to die to self every day serving the one we love? Putting her interests, her needs over ours. That's the way Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church and he prays for the church. So husbands, following Jesus' example, do we pray for our wives? If we're not praying for our wife, if we're not praying for our family, we're sinning and we're not loving her. Jesus loves the church in that way, praying for the church. Jesus is attentive to the church. Our, our rescuer, Savior, the Son of God, Jesus himself, is, is attentive he cares, he listens, he's present, he's participating in the life of his church. So what is that model for us husbands? To be present, to be engaged, to be with our wives, to be listening and interacting and attentive, meeting her needs, enjoying friendship. Did you know that husbands and wives can be friends? I mean, I know that kind of sounds dumb, but I remember that being kind of a really eye-opening and, and helpful picture when, when Amy and I were kind of had an opportunity to think about that idea and study that. Be friends. Invest in your friendship. Husbands, be attentive. Spend time. Date her. Right? Pursue her. No matter whether you've been married a week or, or 40 years. Jesus is attentive to the church. We can be too. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful to the church. So husbands, as, as with Jesus as our example, what does that mean in our relationship with our wife? What does that mean in our marriage? To be faithful. To be a one-woman man. To have eyes for her only. To, to keep pursuing that friendship, to keep showing her the love that you have for her. So why are, these, you know, why are these instructions in Scripture? We come to Ephesians 5. I said this is a really practical section of Scripture. Why are these instructions here? Why are wives urged to submit? Why are husbands reminded to love? Why are these difficult for us to swallow sometimes? I mean, why are we feeling a little convicted right now? 
Well, here's why. It's, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, if you're, if you're bristling a little bit, if you're feeling a little convicted because you're not sure you live up to that, here's why. Because of the fall. Because of entrance of sin into the world, things are not as they should be. God's best design was for man in the image of God, woman in the image of God, best together. That was God's good design. These differing relationships, I mean, these differing roles, equal but different, that was God's design before the fall. That was his best. That was good. But the entrance of sin into the world, when Adam and Eve went their own way and rebelled against God and ate of the fruit, and ever since then, you and I are sinners by nature. It's, we're born with it, and we know we're sinners by choice as well. And, and ever since then, this, this, this idea of marriage, these, these relationships, these roles of husband and wife, even those are distorted and marred by sin. What, what we saw, what we would have seen before the fall as good and God's design and for our best is now marred by sin. In Genesis 3, we see that the consequence of, of uh, the punishment of sin and the way it affects the, the, the man and the woman for Eve and then for wives after her, Genesis 3 tells us that one of the fallouts, one of the consequences of sin is that she will desire to assert her authority over Adam. It wasn't going to be that way, but with sin marring, with sin entering the world and marring and distorting our, our, our view of what God has for us, now wives desire to assert authority over husbands, which is the reverse of, the reverse of God's plan. And in that same passage, it reminds us uh, that Adam, and therefore us husbands, will abandon our leading and protecting and caring role that's what we would have wanted before the fall, the way God created things to be. We have this opportunity to lead and protect and care. But with the entrance of sin into the world comes Adam's desire to rule over her. So both man and woman, both husband and wife, rebelled against God's um, given role and responsibilities. What, what he had in mind, what was best, what he had set in, in place, both man and woman rebelled against. So let's go back to the passage here. And we'll finish up with these few verses. Verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The picture here is the future return of Christ, uh, Jesus is, is, is coming back someday. And the picture here in this passage is uh, when Jesus returns, there's this, this passage gives us the picture that the church, that believers in Jesus will be washed and transformed and made more into the likeness of Christ. And the church will be presented to Jesus for this union, for this marriage-like union relationship between the church and our rescuer. And so this passage is giving us this picture that the, the, that the church will be presented to Christ by himself and the church will be perfect without sin. So now what does that look like for a wife? Listen to this. A wife who has been transformed increasingly into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, think about follower, you, you wives that are followers of Jesus. This is why we exist on earth, is to be increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus and to become more and more like him until we look him in the face. And so why, a wife who has been transformed increasingly into the likeness of Jesus, that's God's work in her life. Her salvation, being rescued from sin and death, being put back in relationship with God, and the wife's sanctification, her being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, that's God's working in her life. But what if one way, one instrument that God used, what if one instrument in the hand of God to help the woman grow in Christ was a loving husband who, as her head, loved her and prayed for her and encouraged her and led her. Jesus presents the church spotless, without sin. Husbands, here's a tough question. Is our wife more like Jesus now because she's married to us?
Jesus presents the church. Jesus transforms the works in the life of the church to make them more and more like Jesus and present them in the future spotless. Husbands, you have this call to love your wife. Is our, is our wife more like Jesus because she's married to us? Anybody else going, ouch? My bad. Sorry to make you think. It's tough to self-examine, though, right? So, like I said earlier, now you know why I plan to preach this topic and then go on vacation. My email has an auto-reply already set up. All right, I'm gonna, the worship team, why don't you, the worship team, go ahead and come up. And uh, rather than close in prayer right now, I'm going to pray a little later so the worship team can come on up. And, uh, and then let's just read uh, one more verse here, verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery is profound. I've been talking about marriage, but now I'm saying that it also refers to Christ and the church. One of the commentators, again, that I studied this week writes this. This passage celebrates marriage as a powerful illustration of the sacrificial love of Christ and the joyful submission of his church. So, if, so listen to this, church family. If we struggle to understand how Jesus loves us, Think of an utterly devoted husband. If we struggle to understand how we are to please Jesus, think of a beautifully supportive wife. This is the picture. God has instructions for us in this passage for marriage and this amazing picture of what he's doing in the future, uh, now and in the future between the, the church and, his, and the rescuer Jesus. So, that, so that's, we, we've, husbands have been addressed and, and wives have been addressed, but remember, everyone else, if, if single or widowed or divorced, and, and all of us, all of us, we mustn't miss this, that verse 32, where Paul directs our attention to. Yes, it's about marriage, but where he directs our attention ultimately is towards the marriage of Christ and his church, which every believer can look forward to. So no matter what our situation is here on earth, in, in our earthly life, Married or not, husband or wife or not, we have this picture that every believer can look forward to. So let's worship Jesus out of thankfulness that he is coming again and that, that he and that we will be with him. So let's worship now as we give our gifts and as we lift our voices.